0: Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. And so the interesting thing about that uh, is that Jesus and I have the same uh, kingdom seed within. That's the same kingdom that he brought, it's the same kingdom that's alive in me. The same spirit that, that was working powerfully through him works through me as well. Different soil different result but he's saying you can do what I did you can do greater than what I did and that was in such a, a wild extravagant promise and yet he said it it's scripture God has said that so what's the problem it's often the the, the soil that we're in so I want to uh, go a bit deeper with that today and just look at because the first question everyone will nod their head at that and go okay you've won me there how do we do that how do we cultivate the soil in our life so that we can live a life that looked like Jesus' life, how Jesus would look if Jesus was you. If he was a car salesman, if he was a motor mechanic, if he was a project manager, if he was a lawyer, how would it look if Jesus was you? This is, that's what really matters. Now, what I want to do is, first of all, break a lens, because what we essentially do, and i spoke spoken of this last week, is that because of the, the mindset of fallen humanity, we are Prone to religion. We are prone to define what the God life is supposed to look like by defining the rules. Here's the rules of the game. So we, we think Christians equal Ten Commandments. Uh, and we, we've seen that that's the form, that's the outer, like the fence. But what we do by overemphasising the fence is that people become enamoured with the fence and they forget the freedom that's in, found inside, the, the freedom within the form. And it's almost like me calling Christianity this, okay, there's a freedom over there, but I'm not worried about that because I'm more worried about dying over here. So where's the line? What's the rules I've got to stick to? And I've got to make sure I get as close to that as I can without just stepping over the mark. This is what religion begins to look like. We become enamoured with the line, enamoured with the form. But if you look at what Scripture really says, we used the analogy last week of the way scientists these days have found a way to create a whole dinosaur from three little bones. They're filling in the blanks Uh, and we can fill in the blanks for God sometimes but what did he say? What did he really say or have we read into what he said something that goes along with our mindset, this lens of the rules? Okay, There's nothing wrong with the rules, there's nothing wrong with the line but are they in their proper place or have we replaced life with rules? What did he really say? The Pharisees came to Jesus, they said, what's the greatest command?" And you'll know the answer. Jesus said, oh, that's easy. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. The whole of the law, the whole of the Old Testament, he said, is wrapped up in those two things. So the religious in us would say, now I know the rules. It's not the Ten Commandments. He's he's taken it from what was over 600. We thought it might have been 10, but Jesus is saying it's really only two. Okay, there's the fence. And we become enamoured with the fence. If I'm going to be a good Christian, I stick to those rules. I, I try as hard as I can to love God with all my heart, soul, strength and mind. Nothing wrong with that. That should be the fruit of our life. But, and in the church growth movement or the, the general evangelical church in the Western world globally, you ask any five pastors about what matters most in the church, what should we be aiming at? Four and a half of them are going to say, love God with all your heart and strength. Love your neighbours as yourself. That's what Jesus said. But what did he say and what was the context of that? He was being spoken to by religious law-keeping Pharisees with a legal mindset. So they're coming to him based on law in their mind. Okay, Jesus, we want to stick to the rules. What's the best of them? And he's gone, well, if you want to ask the question, there's the answer. If you want to stick to the rules, there's the rule. But is that, was that Jesus' agenda? And the interesting thing is he related the answer in a relational context, how you get the, begin to get this leaning of what really matters to Jesus. What matters to me is the relationship. Love the Lord your God. If you want to make a rule about it, this, there, there's the rule. And in the Old Testament, the rules he gave were two obscure rules compared to the Ten Commandments and so on. In John chapter 6, it was in the email that I uh, sent through to the church this week, John 6.29 I, I, I sort of teased it out a bit more because it was a different question. Same people, but they, now they're coming still in a legal framework, but they've come to him about, okay, if it's not about rules, obviously God expects something of me. Surely, surely I've got to do something that earns the right to be in his presence. What qualifies me to be uh, with you for eternity? So what's, what is the work, they said, that God requires? What's the expectation he's got on me? How do I impress him? I want a smile, not a scowl. I want to go to heaven, not to hell. What do I have to do to do that? And so he said, it's simple. Just believe in the one that he has sent. Well, hang on, that's not in the rule book. That did, it didn't say that in the Old Testament. Just believe. Just lean on God. That's what it meant. It literally lean on him. Just, so you're saying all that stuff in the Old Testament was just the line that was being drawn. And the line actually pointed to this one reality that all I have to do is rely on God. Turn to him instead of turning to my own strength. That was the answer that he gave. But again, that's the mindset of what does a slave have to do to impress the master? That's the mindset that they've come to. And Paul later on said, well, we're no longer slaves, we're sons. So it it just breaks that whole thing apart. And now we're left, well, where is the line? But Jesus' whole point was the line is not the point. The line was never the point. He didn't come to make it clearer what the law was. Let me give you an illustration for this. Imagine I'm a mathematician, and I just love formulas, I love maths, and what I'm trying to do is to get into the highest college in the world run by a woman who is the most highly awarded, most highest IQ mathematician globally. There's no limit to what she can do, she can just do anything. And she comes to town, she comes and visits where I am, and I want to get into her college. So I say to her, what must I focus on to be there with you? Is it calculus? Is it string theory? Um, what's going to impress, what's going to get me in the door? And she just comes back and goes, but I've, got a, I've come here to give you a calculator. You're trying to impress me with what you can do. I've come here to fulfil maths. Every bit of maths you could ever want to do, I've come to give it to you. It's in the calculator. Just partner with the calculator. Everything that you could ever dream about doing is in the calculator. Everything is made possible through the calculator. I've, my agenda for you is not to get better at string theory. It's to make it possible for you to do all and far beyond that. Just take the calculator. And this is the mindset Jesus has come with you know, in a much bigger way. We're trying to come to him to impress him. How do I stick to the rules? He's going, I've come to you. To make all of that possible. I'm not, I haven't come here to abolish it all. I've come to fulfil it all. In fact, I've come to make it irresistible for you to do all that stuff so much that your well be on the line. You're just living in freedom. So the greater question is not, God, what do we have to do to impress you? How do I get in with you? The greater question is, for us, what did Jesus come to give us? What's the calculator? What's the, what has he come for? And he says, I will send to you the counsellor. He'll be just like me. And you, he said, I'll, be, I'll fill you with fire. He said, I'll be with you always. I've come to lift the burdens off your shoulders. I've come that rivers of living water would flow from you. I've come that you may have life. We're asking him this and he's offering us that. And what he offers makes everything that we would otherwise talk about possible. But isn't it hard for us to grasp it? Isn't it hard for us to understand Hang on, we're, we're coming to him based on what he's given to us that makes all these things possible. Their promises and their ways to live from God and to fulfill by compulsion what's impossible by obligation. This is what he's offered, and this is what matters to Jesus, for you and for me. Can you get your can can that lift the burden off your shoulders a little bit about what it is to engage with God? So the obvious question comes from that, once you've squared that one away, if you can do that, um, how, do we, how do we then engage? How do we, if that's the kingdom that he's offered, is that, if that's the radical root that comes out there, how do I become the radical? How do, I, how do I harvest that with good soil? And so the answers to that are as varied as there are human hearts in the room, obviously, but there are some common elements, and I want to go through some because we have a little bit of experience with this uh, in the team and in the writings that we do and so on. Some people would suggest that for me to embrace all that God has, I just have to have faith, just have faith, like John said in John 6. But we misinterpret that to say, don't don't get involved, just sit back. Don't lean on, just understand and agree. Just, Just believe at that level. But even faith can be misplaced. Even faith can be misguided. That's what the devil's temptation was. We saw last week, jump off the temple, God will catch you. It's misguided faith. We call it assumption. It's very different. Some would say, just read your Bible, just, just get into the Word. And, and I know plenty of people who do that, I do it too. But the trouble is, if that's all you do, if all you do is read the Scripture, that it's very easy to get judgmental and proud and yet still be powerless. It's easy to spend years studying God's Word and I've seen way too many walk away from God altogether as a result. Still haven't quite figured that one out. But the Pharisees did it too, John 5, before Jesus gave the belief statement. He said, you know, you guys, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. This is what I'm offering you. So the scripture is important, it's just inadequate, as great as it is. The Baptist in me wants to curl up when I say a comment like that. It's a sacred cow, father, son, holy scriptures. That's just the way we see things. But we've got to be broken free of that. The author is always more magnificent than his work. It was never meant to be read in the absence of a relationship with the one who wrote it, who gives it context, who breathes life into that. So Jesus gave some strong indicators. How do we actually partner with him in that way? And, and when I say things like non-religious, I, I just hope no one takes uh, improper offence because when I'm thinking of religion, I'm thinking of um, trying to impress God by sticking to a certain set of rules. Okay? That's what I'm, I'm not against liturgy. I'm not against uh, strong forms and ceremonies. I actually love all that stuff, particularly in their right place. But Jesus spoke into this with his parable of the sower. Luke 8, we'll carry on from last week. He was saying about the seed and the soil. He said, Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. That's the radical no radical root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. So, what he's saying there is there are certain things in the soil and above the soil. There's, there's things in the ground, and there are things above the ground that stop this seed taking root and flourishing. So, he talks about soil and weeds there. And so, we're going to talk about that for a moment because the thing that will hamper this life that he offers, the first thing to look at is what's stopping that? How are we constraining that? How are we prohibiting God actually working in our life, if that were possible? Well, he's being very clear that it is possible. So it's the soil and the thorns. So these two create an unpreparedness or an inability for us to embrace what God's offering. And, um, and so it's really about how we manage and steward this kingdom in our life. So let's talk first about issues of soil. The stuff we can't see, it's underneath the ground. It's stuff that's going on, but we can't quite identify it. The people around us can't see it. The first one I'm going to refer to is just good old sin. Um, Now, it's interesting, sin, we would look at that and go, well, hang on, you just said it's not about keeping the rules, and it isn't sin just blowing the rules. Well, that's a very constrained way of looking at it. But the sort of sin that I'm looking at, I'm looking now at sin. How does sin affect the way, so sin being a deliberate act, uh, that goes against God's uh, call on our life. But I'm not talking about a slip in the sin. There's a difference between slipping in the sin and sowing in the sin. It's very clear difference uh, in Scripture. I'm talking about willing, repeated, unrepentant investment, Okay, not accident, investment into ungodly behaviour. The sort of sin that puts its hand up to God, turns, turns away and says, you're not welcome here in this part of my life. Just turn around for a moment, will you, while I go about this? That sort of sin, and not just slipping into there, but um, but investing. In 1 John 1:8, the writer says, "If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth isn't in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins, purify us all from all unrighteousness." So that's a glorious promise. That's just the best. So when we when we fail, you know, we think, ah. Oh, Done it again. It seems to be routine. He's like, I've got, you, I've got you covered. Okay, this is why I died. I died for this stuff. I, and God gets that. But I'm talking about something other than that. And Galatians 6, uh, Paul, who talks a lot about sin and the fact that put it in its place, you know, he talks about this other type of sin that's a, a real investment. He says, don't be deceived. God won't be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, right? Investment. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh... From the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So he's using that same analogy the seed and the soil. And he says if you continue to sow into that life that goes against you, put your hand up to God, then you're sowing yourself into death. You're sowing yourself into separation from God. But if you sow into what the Spirit wants, you're, you're sowing yourself into Him breathing into your life and giving you life. They're sowing into sins like a rebellious child that refuses healthy food so they can go and chew in the dirt. It's like that. It's like saying, I know that stuff's awesome and it's healthy and brings me to life, but I just want some mud right now. That's what it it sort of feels like. So the power of the Spirit in our life, when we give our hearts to Christ and that the Spirit is in our life, we can tell that he's there, means we're not free to sin. It's not a license to go and do whatever you want. Forgiveness is not a license. We're not free to go and do whatever we like. It's freedom not to do sin. See the difference? It's a freedom that I don't have to anymore. I'm not obliged to this anymore. It's it's not inevitable in my life. I have a choice to make. In Galatians 5, Paul says, we walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify gratify the desires of the flesh. So he's saying if you partner with what God's doing, it's just going to become natural that you won't gratify the flesh. Okay, so sin becomes an issue. Sin is, is something in our life that we need to deal with it and, you know, you can't just say, I'm under grace, it's all okay, I can do whatever I like. That's sowing into something that's putting its, your hand up to God and saying, stay away, please. That'll make a difference. Next one is on ungodly beliefs. Most people will start, will start and stop at sin. That's it. There's five, and I'll go through them as quickly as I can. Ungodly beliefs. It's thinking that gets you out of alignment with God. In Amos 3.3, 3, it says, can two walk together unless they're agreed? What he's saying there is, it's like having a three-legged race. Can you walk if you're out of step with each other? If you want to embrace what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life, you've got to walk in alignment with him, in agreement with him. You've got to believe the same things that he believes. God is good. God is powerful. If in your head you're struggling with that, I don't know if he's good because I look at all the torment in the world and it makes me question who he is. It puts you out of agreement and out of alignment with the ways of heaven and you cease to be able to work in with what he's doing. So our ability uh, to align with his re- inability will block what God's doing. Remember we had the series last year we talked about, uh, Mark chapter 8, where Jesus kept coming back. Why are you talking about having no bread? Right? Why is your focus beginning on what you don't have? Why can't you get your mind past what I haven't done for you when I want to get all these other things done and I need you to cooperate with that? Why are you still thinking like that? This is ungodly beliefs. This is things a, a mindset that gets us out of alignment with God. It's Mark chapter 6 where he's in his hometown. It's Jesus. You think nothing can constrain this guy. He can do anything. But the scriptures are really clear. It says he could not do many miracles there. Could not. Not would not. Not didn't want to. Could not. Because of their unbelief and their lack of honour. And so the the soil there was tough and it was hard. And it says we don't like you. We don't agree with you. We saw when when you're in nappies and, and we have no respect for you. And and they make Jesus in their own image and just say, well, how can we honour that? And so that put them out of alignment and so he could do very little there. Incredible dynamic. It's one I still have to grapple with. It's sort of saying in your own mind things like, Lord, I'm hopeless. This situation's hopeless. Uh, Things are never going to change. I'm never going to change. You would never use me. It's all things that he will directly say, I can't hear you. Say what? He's not going to engage in that dialogue with you because he fundamentally doesn't agree with you. It's like you're speaking Greek and he's speaking Chinese. It's just not going to work. And so we need to get these ungodly beliefs identified and sorted out. Third one is what we call wounds. The, a wounded spirit, a wounded soul, if you like. Our ability to walk in the realm of being an, an heir, co-heir with Christ, needs the foundation in our in our heart of basic trust, of inner security. And self-worth. If those elements in our life are broken, then the inner doubt, the residual fear, the torment, the, the ambition, the need to be someone that we, that we have to produce on our own, these God-less things that become normal for our life, um, hold back our ability to partner with and embrace what he's already given us with trust, security, self-worth and so on. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen 15 says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. What that's saying there is that we make decisions, if we have an upbringing, for example, where we're abused by a relative, we're going to have huge trust issues there. We're going to make decisions in our mind, I can't trust this person. So we protect our heart, we we create coping strategies, we form our whole life around the fact of independence or avoiding abuse, not trusting people and all that kind of thing. If the example from our parents is that success is the most important thing, we're going to struggle with things like acceptance as we grow up because acceptance is performing higher than anyone else. We'll never feel accepted just to be us. If we're neglected, and neglect is a form of abuse, you'll look for love anywhere. You'll be that person that just says, I need love, and and you'll make it too easy for people to to abuse you and so on. Or you'll become self-sufficient. All these things, they become their wounds in our life, and the foolishness of the decisions that we make From those wounds, as a child, foolishness becomes bound up in the heart of a child. And until we allow Jesus to come in and deal with that, bring it to maturity, and we learn to trust him more deeply, believe who he says that we are more fully, then it's going to hamper our work with God. And we've got to take these scars that we've all got, because we've all had infallible upbringings, particularly before the age of six or seven. We've got to take these scars and present them to Jesus and let him go to work there through inner healing, through prayer, through counselling, great competent ministry, and let them become sacred wounds that become beautiful things that God uses and may well become the source of your ministry later on. But while they're still scars, while we're still a victim to the pain that they bring, we're in trouble. So that's three things, uh, sin, ungodly beliefs and wounds. Work together. They're, They're soil. Right, So we've all got that. That's all there in our soil. And unless we've intentionally brought that to Jesus for him to heal, those elements are going to remain in the soil of our life and constrain this wild root of the kingdom that wants to branch out. But there's external stuff as well. There's Jesus said there's worries, riches and pleasures of the world that, that strangle you. I was going to put a picture up there of a, um, a Morton Bay fig. Not sure whether you understand how how these figs work, but they they actually start wrapping themselves around an existing tree. Did you realize that? And because they're so big and glorious, you'd think, man, this thing. But it it started, it wrapped itself around a tree and just strangled the life out of it. And now all you can see is the fig, which is essentially like a big weed. And it just becomes this incredible thing. And Jesus says there that the worries and riches and the pleasures of the world uh, strangle like that. In In our language, it might be materialism. And we think, oh, it's terrible that some people are like that, you know? But then we look at the shiny things that attract us and the car that we have to have and the better house and all the stuff. It's materialistic. It's so woven into our DNA. We only notice it when someone tries to stop us fulfilling that in our life. Comfort. Comfort's the biggest idol you'll ever see in the West. It's, uh, it's the idol we bow to. Can I obey God? Hang on, just let me check with my little idol of comfort here. No, God's saying no. Make me too uncomfortable. Pride, comparison, these, these are the, the, the weeds that come and strangle us, they become the idols that we bow to and the filter through which we hear God because we say no that can't be God because my idol is saying something else, it's a louder voice, all this sort of stuff. So how do you tell whether you've got entanglements in your life? Well what do you plan for? How do you invest your life? What do you set your heart to? What do you organise and make sure it's fulfilled one day? Is it your retirement plan? Is it your house and your mortgage and your career? You know, if, if you're putting more effort into that than you are into what's your plan for becoming all that God can make through you and in you, how much you can sacrifice for the kingdom, how much you can lay down and how, how many people you can be praying for. Is it A or is it B? Because the one, that, that will tell you what's driving your life. I won't do an altar call on that right now, okay? But we we're all, we're all have to work that one through. It's basically turning to something else to meet our needs that was made for God. It's turning to this instead of turning to God. What did Jesus say was the most important thing? Turn. Repent and believe, he would say. Turn and rely. That's what that means. The last one I'll bring up is uh, an issue that we tend to skate around in church. It's really interesting. It's the issue of the demonic uh, this, the other side, the dark side of the force, if you like. Uh, and in our Western worldview, we don't, we don't know how to deal with this issue. We tend to look, prefer to make a horror movie out of it and, uh, and say that's uh, the exorcist and that's what it's all such fantasy, it doesn't exist. Or so we will overplay it in the church or we we'll underplay it, but it's very hard to get a powerful balance in there and recognise the, the, the effect of What Scripture seems to describe as a third of the angels that were created to worship God have have fallen and now working against your life. They're out there. They've got nothing else to do except make you redundant in your Christian walk. And they have a ball in the West because we don't believe in them. Fantastic. So all they've got to do. And and demonic spirits, the spiritual realm, it works in a a similar mode with God's spirit and don't hold with me on this as the way demonic spirits can work in our life. Picture it like a breeze. A wind will blow. And the Holy Spirit, called in Scripture the breath, the breath of God, the wind of the Spirit comes. And we can, we're in a boat. We're, we have no power in ourselves. We're a boat and we can, we can sense God's wind that wants to empower us to go his way. So I can, get my, I can put my sail up and I can trim my sail to catch God's wind. So now I'm a boat who's powerless but I'm now moving along, I'm empowered by God's spirit because I've set my sail and by setting my sail what that means is I come into alignment with what he wants. I choose in faith to obey him in the minimal strength that I've got and say yes God I'm going your way and he empowers that choice and brings it along. But I I can also perceive the wind of the demonic that's out there. It wants to push me as well. I have no obligation to it. It's not, it's not like a motor car that comes and slams and I have to go there. It's, I'm obligated to it. It's just a slight wind. But if I, I sense that wind, if, and the wind might be materialism or it might be uh, temptation and lust and so on. Uh, an, an image might pop up in an email or just, just click here. It's a victimless crime. You know those emails that come now and again. And it's, you're, like, you're one click away and it's a breeze. You're, what you're feeling there is a breeze that wants to cooperate with... In the book of James, chapter 1, you can read the, the process that happens there because the Scriptures are really clear. All of us are tempted, it says. It says when you are tempted, not if, when you are tempted, who's tempting? It's saying not God. The evil one comes and tempts you. It's a wind that blows. You're not obliged to the wind. It doesn't control you, but you can choose to cooperate with that wind by you putting your little sail up by going click. What you're doing is setting your sail to respond to the wind that's coming from the the demonic force that comes against us. It's not voices particularly that you make up in your mind at these early sorts of stages. It's It's a progression of influence. But more often than not in our life, there is is an element where uh, the evil demonic realm will want to cooperate with our own lusts of our flesh. They'll grab onto that and create a foothold. Ephesians 4.26 says, In your anger do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. So he's the ultimate legalist. That's why the devil loves religion, right? Because he's the ultimate legalist. You step out of line and if you invest in that, he goes, ah, I've got legal right here to get involved here. They've just set their sail to catch my wind. I might just up the wind here. There's still no obligation to obey. He has no power over a Christian, none whatsoever, unless we allow ourselves to cooperate with him in that way. So a Christian at any time can repent, can shut that power down at work and just retrim the sail to catch the wind of God's Spirit. It can be as simple in principle and straightforward as that. Often it will need a little bit of prayer ministry. Often it will, need, uh, it will always usually need a, a, a dose of repentance where we turn and decide I'm going God's way. But we don't need to run away from the concept that we have an enemy who fights hard against us. His mission, if he's, if he's failed at stopping you believing in God, And giving your heart to him, his mission becomes to make you redundant. So you can believe, I just don't want you cooperating with him. So he'll make you busy in church. So busy, you haven't got time to worship. Or he'll bless you. Or seemingly, it won't be blessing, it's cursing. With a fantastic job opportunity that takes you away from your home most days of the week. Or months at a time. This sort of thing. You think, oh, this must be God's blessing. Look at the dough I'm bringing in now. Yeah, but I've just lost my family. Distraction, he'll take you away from what really matters. Shiny things, all that sort of stuff. And he has no power. Don't fear the devil. He's got limited power, even at the, on his best day. James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. If there was one discipline I learned as a young Christian. It was, I've got more power in me than he's got. I can wear this sucker down and he's going to find an easier target than me. Because I just know I've got unlimited access to God's glory. Like He, he never runs dry. I can just access God's spirit, his power anytime, 24-7. The devil can't do that. I'm going to be stronger than that sucker and he's going to get sick of me and find an easier target. So I hope it's none of you. But, you know, (laughs) I think someone's going to lose out of this deal but it ain't going to be me. But, uh, you know, he's not an unlimited... There is no war between God and Satan. We've got to get this really clear. God is not at war with Satan. It's a non-contest, right? He overcame fully at the cross... Uh, It was never a contest anyway. God doesn't wring his hands and go, oh, the devil's having his way now. It was never like that. The fight is ours. It's ours. We are fighting him. And we've got to stand with the strength that God offers and gives us. And it's unlimited and it's all there and we have nothing to fear ever. Yet we need to recognise this is an issue in life and be prepared to deal with it. I've had some great ministry in my life that's uh, very gently, without any anything like the movies where you see all this, just very gently, just a simple prayer, a simple sense of peace and knowing that an influence has gone from my life that I'd let in as a child. It can be very powerful. So you can see it's easy for us to develop hard soil. It's, it's really easy to, for these weeds to come in In fact, you've got to have some intentionality if you want to create the soil and let the kingdom come. The good news is, it's freely available. Jesus came like the mass woman with the calculator. He's come and he's offered you life. Freedom is there. It's all available. We just need to know how to cooperate with us. Luke 4, Jesus said, The Spirit's on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news for the poor, sent me to give you freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He came to break this stuff. He's given us everything we need to become great soil. And I want to put a video on now that just talks about some of the little stories. Uh, our, our Emily has put this thing together, it's just some of the stories of what people have been through through the material we write with that. Fire away.
1: I was bitter and I was hurt and I had anxiety. Before the course, I couldn't see beyond my circumstances. I was so sad and so disappointed. Um, It felt like I was just going through the motions. For 30 years, I lived my
0: Christian life knowing there was more.
1: Uh, So before reform, I was just cruising through life and not really putting my relationship with God first. I had a faith, but my life was pretty much consumed by fear and insecurities. I was disillusioned, burnt out, and my self-worth was through the floor. So leading up to Reform, I felt very away from God, um, didn't really experience Him, and it was quite lonely. Before I started my Reform journey, I knew there was something missing in my life. God seemed distant. I always used to be angry at myself. Uh, I still had a relationship with God, but nothing ever would really change in my life and would always stay the same. I experienced a profound uh, freedom and peace and I was completely content with uh, God's timing and plans for my life and not my own. During the course I learnt how to position my heart towards God's and the more I did that, the bigger He got and the smaller my circumstances became. It felt like I could hear His voice and um, I learnt how to trust His voice and probably for the first time felt like transformation was possible in my life.
0: It opened up a whole new world to me that I didn't know existed. And as a result, my life has changed forever.
1: The Course they revealed to me that my idol was comfort. Um, he, once that was kind of brought into light, he, um, it was just a much more freedom-filled relationship with Him. During Reform, I learnt about how powerful and personal God is. He renewed me. He healed my self-worth
0: and he sent me on a trajectory where I had capacity to love others again.
1: So God impacted my life so much. He showed me so much love and revealed to me some lies that I had placed over my world. So it's a lot more free. Um, He really helped me uh, to deal with how to forgive myself and how to um, go back into the past and deal with any old problems. During the course, I discovered the love of my Heavenly Father and I find out who I was and who he was for me. This course will help you to evaluate the areas that are causing you to be stuck and will help you deal with those issues that are holding you back. We have seen many lives change through this course. Our lives today are so busy and we are looking for meaning, value and purpose. And these courses will help you find purpose and meaning in your life as you seek a closer relationship and walk with God. So do you want more of Him? Then come with us. Come with us on this journey of revelation and discovery.
0: So good. All right, this isn't a promo. We're not doing a promo necessarily for courses today, but um, uh, we, we run this material Because of those stories, we don't try and just get people involved. Freedom is available, but freedom doesn't come natural. Sometimes you just need help. And you can find ways besides doing uh, the material that we have here. We're starting this course uh, in in two weeks' time, 18th of uh February, Tuesday night, 7.30, uh, it's limited spaces. We've got, I think, eight churches around Brisbane are joining us uh, for the retreat and so on. It's a six weeks of material, um, daily readings, incredible workshopping, lots of prayer and ministry over you. So it's really worth it. It's not, it's not a cheap experience. We, we give it basically at cost because we have a, mid, a mid-course retreat for two nights at Brookfield. It's, it's an incredible life-changing thing. We've seen thousands go through that. Um, so if you want to be a part of that, go onto our website, uh, kenmore.church forward slash reform or just follow the menus through courses and be a part of that um, and just have a great time with us. But we're happy we can work through lots of stuff personally. But just the point here is uh, it probably won't happen on its own. You won't, you won't atrophy naturally into freedom. The human heart doesn't do that. It requires intention. It requires people to come into your life. It requires the Holy Spirit to come into your life. Um, It requires a stretching experience. There's there's a a few dynamics that need to come into play there. But do yourself a favour and commit yourself to life. Because Jesus committed himself to your life. He died so that you might live. So don't waste your existence just sucking oxygen and trying to stick to the rules in an effort to impress God. He can't be any more impressed with you. He loves you as you are. But he loves you so much, he wants to bring you to life. And that's the story of what we're about so much here. 2 Corinthians 3.15 to finish off says, Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Paul there is saying to anyone who reads the rule book, who's enamoured with the rules and says, I've got to stick to these rules to impress God. says a veil, a curtain comes over their hearts. But when everyone, anyone turns to the Lord, says I'm not relying on what I can do, on my own. I can't do this. I can never impress him by what I do. I'm going to turn to him and I'm going to embrace what he's done. He paid the price with his body for the sin that I committed and I can't stop committing in my own strength. He's done that for me. I'm turning to him and I'm relying on that. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory of being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You become who you behold. Instead of looking for the line, you begin to look at him and you become the one that you adore. And that's why worship is just so important. And so this journey is for all of us. And uh, I just have a sense today, and it's been confirmed through those who are praying before the service, that the Lord does want to set so many of us free. Start that journey today. Don't say tomorrow, today. Why would you do that? It's like Pharaoh saying, I want to sleep with the frogs one more night. <laughs> why would he do that that was just pride doing that why would you ever say put a hand up to freedom if you've got a, a, a recurring sin in your life and you want god's help to break that in discretion with the team over here after the service come and receive prayer the holy spirit would help you sign up to reform online uh we'll need you to do that in the next few days um do something take a step the maths genius has given you the calculator Stop trying to figure out calculus with a slide rule. We can do this with everything He's given us. Amen. And there's also a few words of knowledge from people um, uh, to come and get some healing. Healing of a persistent migraine. If you've been just dis- it's been throttling in your head for a while and it may be associated with fatigue, please come and receive prayer after the service. Um, and another one is for men to boldly seek prayer for healing of hidden issues in their lives. These guys didn't know what I was going to preach about today, but this is soil issues. If that's you and you just know, this thing owns me, right? This thing's owning me. Uh, I need to deal with this. Uh, Then please come and get prayer and go on those first steps. Amen. Let's pray and then we'll worship. Father, just thank you for the offer of life. Not only the offer, the power to live. We surrender to you with that. Lord, we repent of religion. We repent of trying to do it in our own strength. Trying to impress you, jump through the hoops. We just rely on you. Take the soil and just breathe life. It's how it all began. Dust and breath. Breathe your life back into us so that we live again.